Welcome to Keep the Game Beautiful podcast. Each week, I highlight incredible people who are doing amazing things in soccer, the beautiful game. I'm Anna Turi, your host. Thank you for listening. I'm very excited to be getting wrestling started up. It's so exciting to just get into this new flow. It is crazy to think about how many firsts for women's games in general are still happening. Like everyone should know this past weekend, Sarah Fuller playing in the American football game. Of course, I don't know. Basically, I don't know anything about American football. So it was kind of weird for me to watch, but I really enjoyed learning about her. And this is such a great experience and opportunity for young girls and women to see her grow. One organization that Sarah really supports is Play Like a Girl. And I don't know much about Play Like a Girl, but I have been reading up a little bit. And I think it's such a great opportunity for girls. They try and promote girls and what they can do in the future. So I really encourage you to check that out if you're at all interested. Today with Susie, I was really excited to talk about her story and her passion for the game. Of course, I didn't want to ask too much because I needed to leave a little bit of a cliffhanger for her book. So you had to go and read that. I also love talking about writing her book and also publishing her book. In the podcast today, she mentions that she didn't take the quote-unquote normal route to publishing the book. I really hope you enjoyed the episode and that you're able to learn more about Susie. Today, I am talking with Susie Petruccelli. Susie started playing AYSO and eventually played collegiately at Harvard. She spent some some time in a career in technology before returning back to her love of the game. Susie turned to rating and wrote Raised a Warrior. She is also the producer of the documentary Warriors of the Beautiful Game and active with many other projects, including Equal Playing Field and Coaches Across Continents. So, Susie, I'm wondering if you'd like to add anything else or talk about what got you to where you are today. Sure. First of all, I just have to say that I'm so happy to be talking to you. And, um, you know, thank you so much. You are absolutely amazing. And the reason I wrote my book was because part of me was worried that the next generation of girls was a little bit maybe the way I was, which was a little sheltered and unaware of the you know, how far we still need to go in terms of women's sports um, and seeing everything you're doing and, and um, you know, how amazing you are has really given me so much hope. So um, you're awesome. And um, okay, so <laughs> starting there. Yeah, thank you for that intro. Um, you kind of nailed it. And, <laughs> you know, I, I grew up in Southern California, I played a lot of soccer, was lucky to have so many opportunities to play soccer ended up playing at Harvard, um, which was an incredible experience and was so inspiring. I was mostly inspired by my teammates who had so much ambition and and so much vision for where their life was going next and big, big dreams about what they were going to go on to do. So, you know, I just, I, I felt like stories about teams of girls that were inspiring in that way and had so much fun together was something that I could contribute. Um, I couldn't find very many stories like that. Um, It was important to me to kind of put something out for, you know, if I could in a way put something out that would inspire more little girls, not only to study hard and, and think of themselves as students, but, 
you know, also take sports seriously, but also with the keeping in mind that, you know, really the most important thing we're getting out of sports is like, you know, health and wellness and learning how to be a good teammate and um, learning how to participate in the team, um, you know, even if you're not the star player and all those, you know, amazing lessons that we learn from sports. So, so yeah. And then, you know, luckily through the book, as I was working on the book, I got connected to um, Kelly Nascimento, who uh, is Pele's daughter, which is pretty amazing. And, um, you know, she had, she was kind of waking up to this, to the fact that, um, you know, female players in Brazil were still totally invisible and, and not supported. And she started to try to, you know, do something about it. And, you know, we got connected right at that time when I was sort of working on the book and filling out the ending of the book about how, um, you know, I was having my personal awakening about how so many girls around the world still don't have even the opportunity to play any sport. So, you know, we just connected right at the right time and started working together. Um, and now, you know, the, the movie's almost finished. And obviously this year was a little bit hard. We, you know, had to wait a few months and, um, you know, we're re reconfiguring things in terms of funding, um, but we're back on track. And, um, you know, 2021, I think is gonna be, gonna be um, really an amazing year. And when we're all very hopeful for uh, where, you know, women's um, soccer is going. So on this podcast, I always start with the same three questions. First, what does the beautiful game mean to you? Oh my gosh. Well, I think that's why I had to write the book <laughs> because it meant everything to me. Um, it meant so much to me that when I got hurt as a sophomore at Harvard, um, I really was left very with this empty hole, you know, inside. I was left um, kind of not knowing who I was anymore without it. Um, so, you know, part of my story is about, you know, is about recognizing that you need more than one thing in your life to be that passionate about. And, you know, a plan for your after, after soccer playing days are over. And, um, but the game really still is absolutely everything to me. And I mean, all of the amazing things I have in my life revolve around the game um, still to this day. All my, you know, best friendships, all my longest lasting friendships. Um, and, you know, now my work and back in it. And um, it, it's, you know, and it really honestly, I think is, it's just a beautiful game. What are actions or things you do to keep the game beautiful? Well, you know, I try, I do try um, in my own personal life with my kids now um, to focus the game on, you know, not as much the wins and losses, but about, you know, what they're growing from and, you know, what they're learning from even, you know, sometimes more than more, learning more from the losses than the wins, right? Um, and, you know, I also try very hard to remind people to be respectful of referees and, um, you know, be parents to, you know, not be so vociferous on the sidelines, let's say, um, you know, I, I do try very hard. My, my father, when I was growing up was that was the screamer on the sideline. I, I adore him. I, and I give him a lot of credit for, you know, my success in sports, but, um, you know, he was the yeller. And um, so I, I do think that that detracts from the beauty of the game. Um, and so part, you know, part of my mission, I guess I would say, is is to remind people that that's so unnecessary and that it really is about the joy 
of being part of a team and being out there with your friends and, you know, running around in the sunshine and, and growing your muscles and growing, you know, and, and being part of a, a beautiful um, experience and, and not so much about, um, you know, the wins and losses and the pressures of, of moving up in the game and the pressure of being on the right team and the pressure of getting the scholarship and all that kind of stuff. So that's sort of what I'm, that's sort of what I'm trying to, you know, I guess have, have as my sort of mission. How do you encourage others to keep the game beautiful? Well, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's, I, I mean, it's not that easy to, you know, in a, we live in a very competitive town um, and, and there's a lot, it's a New York city suburb and it's a very, you know, competitive environment. If you, if, you know, if you can't make it in New York, but you know, there's a lot of, um, it's a, it's a aggressive, um, it's aggressive place and, and you have to, it's almost like a sink or swim type of, of mentality here. Um, so I do try very hard to kind of remind people, like I was saying that, um, you know, there's so much about sports that's healthy for all of us. Um, you know, most importantly for me is the friendships that are made. So I, I, you know, I always do try to keep bringing that up. I, I, am not sure I'm winning that, uh, <laughs> I'm winning that, that my attitude is winning anywhere here, but that's what I try to do. So when you gave us a little bit more background, you did highlight your book quite a bit. How did you decide you wanted to write it? So I had always written journals. I was not a great sleeper when I was a kid. And my mom, I think, as a last ditch effort to get me to stay in bed and sleep when I was little, finally said, she handed me like a, like a random notepad and a pencil. And she was like, just write down what's in your head and, and see if that helps you sleep. So I did, I, you know, I took the pad of paper and the pencil and I started writing down everything that was in my head and that was keeping me up at night and it worked. It soothed me. It let me relax. I knew that I could wake up in the morning and go back to my list of things that I was worried about. So I think that the writing thing started there. I also had an older brother named Tom who was a poet and he would show me his poetry late at night. And it was just the most beautiful thing I had ever seen, the way he phrased things and the way he thought about things and even his penmanship on the paper. So I think when I was little, I sort of like learned this love of writing and words and um, expressing yourself. Um, and then, you know, much later when I was in my twenties, I had all these journals from my, you know, playing days and everything and uh, my struggles but I wasn't playing anymore and I missed the game so much that I just needed to be part of it somehow again. Um, and for me, writing about it, I realized was so close to being on the field when I was in the game mentally, you know, visualizing it in my head and writing about it and trying to find the right words that describe the feeling perfectly or the, the kick perfectly. So it was really fun and therapeutic for me to go back to writing about soccer, even when I couldn't play it anymore. Um, and so it kind of just grew from there. And then, you know, like I was saying, I had this love for my team that I felt like was an important story that I thought people would love, really. Um, I thought at that time, I was sort of thinking about it like it could be a good sports movie. So it kind of grew from there. And then as I started to learn, I was starting to look for, this is a long answer, by the way, I'm sorry, but <laughs> as I started to look for examples of what good sports writing was and what good sports movies were to kind of learn from those things, 
I realized I wasn't finding any, I wasn't finding very many stories like that about women's sports teams. But the ones that I was finding were documentaries about Billie Jean King and Billie, uh, about the 99ers. And um, I was, you know, I was learning more about the history of women's sports that I hadn't ever learned before. I was learning about, you know, the fact that um, Title IX was only passed in 1972. I was born in 1974. So that was shocking to me, you know? It was the law that made it, that made my opportunity in soccer possible was passed just two years before I was born. Um, so there were all these moments as I was learning more about women's sports history that really kind of, shocked me and um you know made me wake up to to like the reality of how young women's sports history is um and how different and at what different stage we are than in men's sports and boys sports so that's kind of where the book came from and how it evolved and um it started obviously as a, as my kind of personal story and then it like the last third of the book which i think is the most important part really is is, you know, talks about like all these amazing leaders that we have that I found that are working, already working successfully and changing things for the better for girls in sports. Um, so that's, so that last third really, you know, is what the point is, is, is to teach girls and um, about all these, you know, amazing programs and all these amazing organizations that are out there working on the various barriers that we're still facing. You had mentioned earlier that you need to have a plan besides soccer. What was your plan at the time in college? I had zero plan besides soccer. I really was so myopic and so focused on soccer um, to the point where it harmed my personal relationships. And, um, you know, I talk about it a lot in the book that, you know, I, I was very single-minded at the time about, um, you know, what I thought was the most important thing in my life. Um, and um, so, you know, I wish I had had, had spent some energy sort of allowing myself, opening myself up to other opportunities and other interests. Um, and I think that would have been really help, healthy for me. Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't change a thing. Everything turned out the way it was supposed to. Um, and, you know, I learned a lot of things the hard way that I think, you know, personality wise, I guess was just meant to happen that way. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, you know, I wish I had had sort of, I think I, I say a lot, I wish I hadn't had all my eggs in one basket, but at the same, at the same time, you know, when you're, when you're just so passionately in love with one sport, um, you know, I don't know if, I don't, maybe people were trying to get me to take an interest in other things. And I just was like blocking them out, you know, cause I loved, I just loved soccer so much. So I want to move on and ask about publishing the book. How did you find a publisher to support the book? That's a really good question. So, you know, I didn't know anything about the publishing world when I started. Um, and what I found out is that in general, the way you, you have a book published is that you have to find an agent first. So you have an idea for a book. And then what you do is you write a, um, a query email, it's called. It's really like a little pitch email. And then you, then basically you find agents who are publishing, representing authors that write similar books to yours. And you send them emails and you say, hey, I have this idea for this book. And I think it's very important. I think it's very unique. Um, and, you know, I hope to hear from you basically. And you can send them out, you know, send hundreds of them out and hope to hear back. 
I did not hear back from any of them. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. I did hear back from a lot of them. A lot of them were very kind. Um, I did have an agent uh, who read my drafts twice and um, gave me a ton of very good feedback. She would spend two or three months reading a draft and then send me pages and pages of notes, which was amazing. Um, eventually, what ended up happening was I ended up connecting with an organization in England um, called Women in Football, who um, had started a Twitter campaign called hashtag what if um, that went viral. This has got to be like late 2018. And um, so the idea for the hashtag what if campaign was um, they were trying to get as many people as possible, as big or little name as you had, you know, wherever you were in the soccer world or soccer business to uh, pledge on Twitter, hashtag what if I, and then, you know, you make a pledge of some way that you can give a hand up to a girl in coming up in the football world. Um, and so I happened to catch a, a what if pledge by a writer that I had already been following because he's a very famous um, sports writer in England. And his name is Ian Ridley. So he posted a what if pledge that said, what if I mentor a young female football writer? And um, even though I'm not young and I'm not a trained football writer, I answered him, you know, and I said, actually, my name is Susie Petrocelli and I'm, you know, live in America and I've written this book about women's soccer and I would love some advice. And so he responded to me. And um, we ended up going back and forth. And he said, I hope you don't mind. I let my wife uh, read your chapters and she loved them as well. And it turned out that her name was Vicki Orvis and she was one of the founders of Women in Football and a very well-respected pioneer in sports journalism um, in England. And so basically what ended up happening was they helped me, they gave me some advice um, and then, you know, we kind of went on, went separate ways because, you know, they said, you know, we think you have something here, but we don't know very much about the American publishing world, um, but best of luck and, you know, keep going. So, you know, I did, and I kept going. I took all of their advice. I, re, I you know, started re-editing the manuscript. And then um, a few months later, they, Ian got back to me and said, um, you know, very sadly, tragically, Vicky had passed away from breast cancer. And, you know, he had reached out to me because he was putting a book prize together in her honor. Um, and he thought of me, which I still tear up when I think about it. He, he thought of my book as some, a book that might be considered for the prize. Um, so I ended up uh, putting in a proposal for the award and, you know, long story short, I ended up winning the award. Um, and I flew to England to accept the, the prize and it was all like so amazing and surreal and all thanks to Ian and, um, and Vicky. Um, and so that's, so then his company, Ian's company, Floodlit Dreams ended up publishing the book um, in England. And now um, we just made an agreement with a North American publisher called Apollo. Um, so the book is going to get republished in an Americanized version in a hardback cover in the spring. So we're super, I'm super excited. And um, um, so I, I took a very unique path to getting the book published. It wasn't the normal way that books usually get published, but I did learn a lot. I understand the system now. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I actually spoke to a lot of really cool people 
that I think I'm, I'm hopeful that I'm, if there are more, I mean, I know there are more young female football writers or girls that want to write about sports and tell their stories. Um, I've met an, I've met enough people now that I think I can help them um, get those stories published and get more women's sports and girls sports stories out to to little girls. So you talk about taking that first step, even though it was just a comment. How important is it that especially young women in the game take the first step or ask the question first to get their name out there? Oh my gosh, um, it's so important. I mean, it really is important to leave no stone unturned, you know, and reach out to anybody and everybody and trust your instincts. If if somebody that you see on Twitter or social media, if they post something that speaks to you or that you relate to, or that makes you feel good or inspires you, reach out to them, um, make a connection with them. Because, you know, I don't think there was ever a time in history when it like, it was so easy to connect with people all around the world um, who, you know, have the same passions and, and concerns as you do. So, you know, make, take the first step. The, the worst that could happen is they don't answer you. But I've found that, you know, for the most part, people do respond and they are grateful for the connection. And, um, you know, it's it's been actually like pretty crazy how um, my personal network has been growing. And, um, you know, we say it all the time that the, you know, the women's soccer world is, is a very tight, very passionate um, group of people. And we're always very excited uh, to, you know, have people join, join our effort and join the movement and bring new energy, especially, especially young people. Moving on, I want to ask you a little bit about your playing career. Of course, I won't ask too much to leave maybe a cliffhanger so people can go on and read your book. <laughs> so first off, how did you decide you wanted to play college soccer? Um, you know, I don't know if there was a decision that I wanted to play college soccer. I just was just wanted to play, you know, I just didn't want to stop playing. Um, I didn't really know very much about the system at the time. It wasn't like, I, you know, in, in high school, I said, okay, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, go to a bunch of recruiting things and showcases and things like that. It wasn't set up that way. I mean, my goal at the time was to get onto the national team. Um, and my dad figured out, uh, you know, we were, I, when I was growing up, the national team was quite young, right? It was the very first generation of, of women on the national team when I was, when I, and I was sort of right on their heels. Um, and so, you know, I, we figured out with the OD, you know, the Olympic development program, we figured out that was the way towards, you know, to get sort of uh, considered for the national team. So that really was my dream. Um, I, because of the ODP system and because of the ODP tournaments, I got seen by coaches and they started, you know, reaching out to us and calling us. Um, but wasn't, it wasn't initially my dream to play in college. I didn't really, I don't, I don't know if I was aware enough to know that that was the, the next step for me. Um, but, um, but, you know, I got very lucky and I ended up meeting or the Harvard coach ended up seeing us play um, in, at the Nike Cup in Oregon when I was, you know, a sophomore, I guess, or junior maybe in high school. And um, we, you know, I visited a couple other schools and, um, you know, it's, I, I won't say too much because the story is in the book, but um, I did end up at Harvard <laughs> and, um, you know, it was an incredible experience. It was definitely uh, it was definitely a fish out of water there. I won't, I won't say it was an easy adjustment coming from Southern California to Boston, but um, but it does, I think, uh, make for a pretty entertaining story. 
How has the recruitment process changed from when you were recruited to now? I think, I think it's, I think it, some things are the same and some things are different. I, I know for us at that time, like I was saying, there was this system called the ODP system. Um, and I think now the Olympic development program is, has taken sort of a backseat. Um, and I think, you know, now these, there's the ECNL and there's all these different leagues that have, and all, uh, you know, there was for a short while, the girls DA. Um, so I think that the systems have changed, like the infrastructure has changed, the pathways have changed. Um, and, you know, I, I know it's probably harder now um, to, to be seen and to be, you know, get to get to be seen by the right coaches and get to the right place because there's millions more girls playing too. Um, and um, so, you know, I, I think it's probably a lot more complicated and a lot more um, competitive now. Um, but, you know, I also think with social media, it's, you know, you can make those connections by yourself and send coaches film and make highlight videos and get yourself seen um, on your own. I mean, the, the, the girl who is the main character of Kelly's film, Laís, you know, she got herself seen by the Brazilian under 20 national team coach through Facebook. Um, you know, she basically got herself by her own perseverance got herself to a junior college in Brooklyn in New York and, you know, scraped money together to buy herself a phone that had a camera and a, and a you know, like a video capability. Um, and she started making little videos and having her friends make little videos of herself playing. Um, so, you know, yes, the sis, I would, I would say, yes, the system has gotten a lot more complicated and it's a lot more competitive, but if you're, you know, you use like your creativity and you find a unique, um, you know, use your ingenuity. Um, I think there are still ways to get seen. Um, but you just, you really have to be creative and you really have to be, per, uh, you know, you really have to persevere. So I understand when you, um, you almost made the decision to play at Stanford and I won't give too much. That's no. all I'll give. <laughs> How can people deal with that? What if, or move past a big choice that they have made? Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, you know, I definitely, I don't know if I'm the right person to answer that question because I'd belabored my decision for a very long time. Um, it, you know, I guess what I would say now, if I, knowing, you know, if I could talk to my younger self, I would say that, you know, you really do have to trust your gut and, you know, whatever you do decide, either way, everything will be okay. Um, I think it's hard, you know, it is, you do get anxiety about these big decisions, but uh, for the most part, there is no wrong choice. Um, you know, and, and especially if your mentality is to, you know, keep working hard, keep trying to be the best person you can be. And, um, you know, good things, good things do happen. So, um, you know, and, and the path may be different um, you know, you could say, oh, if I had done this or if I had done that, but, you know, really it's, it's more about just, you know, continuing your own personal growth as a person and, and, and keep building in, the, in a positive direction, no matter, you know, what, what choice you make. So when you and your, when you played at Harvard, both you and your sister played together, what was that dynamic like? <laughs> Um, you know, it's funny, I, I talk about this a little in the book. So my sister and I are identical twins, which, you know, is, is complicated. <laughs> um, I mean, it's complicated with any sibling, but it's definitely complicated with an identical twin. And 
Um, she and I are very different people off the field. Um, we have, you know, she's very, very serious and very studious um, and very clean and neat and tidy. And I am the complete opposite. Um, and so, you know, we struggled in our relationship off the field. It, it, I, looking back though, it's very interesting to me because I appreciate how well we got along on the field so much more now than I ever did. Um, when we were on the field, we knew we were the best ally for each other. And we knew that we had an advantage um, because we didn't have to speak. I knew, you know, I knew where she wanted the ball. I knew where she was going to be. I knew her favorite play. I knew she would make the turn to the right when she got the, you know, I, I didn't, we didn't, it's, you know, it's like having a teammate for your whole life, right? Eventually, you know, exactly what the person, where the person wants the ball. Um, so that, you know, became a really cool part of our relationship. Um, and, um, you know, we, I still, I still miss playing with her. You know, I actually, she continued to play after we graduated. I had this injury that um, made it hard for me to play. Um, but I was always so proud to hear that she actually, she actually became the center midfielder. Um, she was a striker, uh, growing up while I was the center midfielder, but so she, she moved into the center midfield and became the center midfielder for her team for like 10 years. And, uh, you know, I it was always so proud to hear that. And so it was, a, it was a special relationship having, you know, being able to play with your sister all the time. When you did end up going your separate ways, was that hard for you after playing with your sister and being around your sister for a lot of your life? Yeah, of course. You know, we, we, I mean, I followed her to Harvard. So um, it, uh, I, we were very attached to each other. Um, even though, you know, we did have our sisterly uh, ups and downs. Um, it was hard. I wasn't ready. You know, she, even though, even though she's only nine minutes older than me, she was very much like a big sister to me. Um, and she was more mature than I was. And she was more, she had a better vision for sort of what her next steps in life were going to be. And so in a lot of ways, she was a role model for me, even though like we're literally the same age, but, and, um, so that was hard. I, you know, I had, a, I, I felt like, I felt a little lost without her for a while. Um, and it took me some time to sort of get my feet back on the ground as an individual. But yeah, so I, I, you know, I do miss her. And now she's in California and I'm in New York. Um, so we don't get to see each other a lot. Uh, but, the, but the nice thing about being an identical twin is when our kids see each other and see us, they, there's like an immediate connection. There's no shyness. There's no you know, period of like getting to know each other because her kids think I'm her and my kids think she's me. And um, it's just a very cool kind of closeness that um, that is, is special. You had mentioned the injury. And again, I'm trying not to go too into detail, <laughs> but okay. what advice would you give someone going through a major injury? Oh, yeah, that's a good one too. Um, you know, I think now, to be honest, we've seen girls or well, any player um, come back now from big injuries. Um, and, you know, I think that there's a lot better um, medical care for athletes at every age these days. You know, there's a, there's, surgeries have advanced. They're doing things they can do now where they're reattaching muscle and repairing torn muscle that they couldn't do, um, you know, when I, in the early 90s and, and late 80s. So I think things have changed a lot. It, it, mentally, it's always hard when you have a bad injury. Um, the, you know, being sidelined, 
Um, socially being away from your teammates is very hard and isolating. Um, the recovery is hard, but I, but I do think that the support group around the recovering athlete is more developed now. Um, and talking about the mental dangers to athletes that are injured, I think is way more common now than it was when I was injured. So it do doesn't make it any easier, but I do think that hopefully that the support system is, is stronger for, for those kids. I mean, it, it's still, obviously it does not make it any easier. And, um, but, um, but I do, you know, I, I see now like having an ACL tear is not as devastating as it was that, you know, back in the day, you know, I think girls have an ACL tear and they think, okay, well, this will be eight, eight, six to eight months and I'll be back. And, you know, it's, it's less, um, it's a little, it's almost more expected that you're going to recover. Uh, so I think th those are all, you know, those are all good things. Obviously, like I said, it, it's still terrible when those things happen, but, but they happen. And then, and most of the time you, you know, you recover. Talking about the support system, how does your family support you in your work? Um, so, you know, I'm lucky because I do have a lot of support around me. Um, you know, even, I mean, my brother still is my biggest supporter, uh, he always was my biggest fan. And um, now he's my biggest supporter. If I ever need anything, or if I'm working on something that I need help with, I can always call him and he'll jump on board immediately. Um, like we, um, you know, I had this film by this organization called Equal Playing Field um, that actually they just broke a fifth world record, I think yesterday. Um, and, um, but they were making a documentary about the first two world records that they broke and they needed to somebody, they needed somebody to come in and help. So I offered to help. Um, and then I immediately called my brother and said, you got to help me with this. And so he did. So, you know, I, I am lucky in that way. I have people that I can lean on and people that I can, um, that I can call and they'll jump right in. It, it, all I have to do is ask. Um, and, you know, my, my family here, they're, you know, my kids and my husband are proud of me and they, you know, they, um, they, um, you know, they're, they're my, they're my, uh, biggest fans too here in, in, um, in New York, which I'm lucky that I, I'm lucky to have that, you know. How do you balance your passion for this work and family commitments? Oh, not very well, probably. Um, you know, it's, that has not been easy. Um, I think that's probably been the biggest challenge to me, uh, committing more time to work. Um, and, you know, it, it, while I was traveling for the film for, with Kelly, um, we spent a year, um, you know, we went to Manchester, we went to Juventus, we went to PSG, um, we went to Santos in Brazil we went to Orlando, see the Orlando pride. Like we, we really traveled a lot that year and it was hard. Um, and, um, so the, the balance was hard. I, I actually, it's, it's kind of a funny story. And I don't, I don't know if parents of young people will appreciate this, but I did end up coming home from one of my trips and going immediately to the uh, Verizon store. And I got my son who I think at the time was in fourth grade, maybe, um, I got him a phone. I got him an iPhone because, and I, I didn't even ask my husband who I knew would say no. And, um, because I needed him to be able to call me any, or text me any time of day, any time of night, FaceTime me no matter where I was in the world, because, he, you know, he was having total breakdowns about things like picture day and not, you know, not knowing what he was supposed to wear on picture day. And these, 
you know, big moments that were, you know, causing him anxiety. So, so yeah, the, the balance is, the balance is hard. And I, I think, uh, you know, still, I think that balance falls a lot. Um, uh, those responsibilities like that fall still a lot on the mothers. Um, I think me, you know, us struggling through that year when I was traveling ended up being a really good thing for our family because we kind of balanced out the household duties a lot better. The balance is, is definitely hard. I, I think my only advice on that is, is to try to communicate as much as you can, which I, I should be taking my own advice. We're not, we're not the best at that, but I think that's, the, that's really the only thing that helps. You talk about all these projects that you've done, and but how can someone say no when they're asked to be a part of something amazing, but they're being pulled so many different ways already? Yeah, that's 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 a good one too. Um, yeah, that's hard. I, I don't like to say no, and <laughs> you know, I you know, you know, I'm I'm not great with days and times. So um, when I get myself overcommitted to things. It is, it is a struggle. Um, and I do sometimes have to say no to things with, that I don't, that I would love to do. Um, and, um, but, you know, it, it is important to, to be able to not, um, not be so overcommitted that you're to the point where you're always stressed out and always missing something and not doing, not doing the things that you've committed to, to the best of your ability. Um, and, um, you know, letting people down. So, um, but, you know, I mean, like I'm nowhere near as busy as someone like Julie Foudy, who, you know, I'll, I'll call her or te I'll text her and she texts me right back, calls me right back. I don't know, honestly don't know how she does it. I mean, she's, you know, a hundred times busier than I am and the woman never seems to say no. So I don't know, I don't know how she does it. She's, she's superhuman. I want to ask you one question before we start to wrap up, what are some of the biggest changes that you've seen in the women's game over the years? Biggest changes in the women's game. Um, I mean, I think obviously the fact that this last Women's World Cup, there were, you know, a billion people who watched it or something crazy like that. Um, you know, and I think the fact that we're having these conversations on an international level about equal pay, equal respect, um, you know, the fact that Carlos Cordero was, was, you know, resigned because of the inequalities that he was, you know, admitting to, um, you know, the unequal mindset that he was admitting to. Um, I think, you know, those are all really positive steps forward for the women's game. Um, like I was talking about earlier, the, the network that supports um, the growth of the opportunities for girls in sports um, is just revolutionizing itself right now. I mean, it's, it's, we're so deeply connected to each other and um, finding each other so much more easily these days um, and working on these projects together. And, um, and you know, if, there, if someone um, identifies a problem, a barrier to girls that no one's working on yet, then, you know, it's almost like we all brainstorm and collaborate and find a new plan and find the right person to tackle that specific barrier. Um, and, um, so, you know, there's a lot of things that are, that have changed and grown. Um, you know, there's things like now we can, you can see, you know, the women's super league in England on TV here in America. Um, and you can, you know, find those games online at coupled at a couple different places now, um, which, you know, so the visibility of the game has grown like just 
you know, beyond anyone's um, imagination. It still has a long way to go, obviously. I mean, it would be nice for us to have something like on a, you know, on a specified night, something like the NFL has on Sunday nights where they have a red zone thing where they have a bunch of games going on and you can, you know, you get to see the, all the attacking moments in every game from around the world, something like that would be cool. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of things that could still grow and change, but, um, you know, we've, we've definitely come a long way. The number of countries that have national teams is growing, you know, um, and, and also the, the other side of that that I think is really important to mention is that the, the dangers to, to athletes um, are becoming, um, are getting a spotlight these days, right? Not only dangers to like repetitive stress injury injuries and things like that, or, you know, girls are, or players um, maybe with things like eating disorders and mental health issues and things like that, but also, you know, sexual abuse now is being um, identified and rooted out and is, you know, is being openly talked about now. Um, and, you know, victims are being believed and there are consequences now. Um, for the abusers, um, at least more than there were. And those, you know, that obviously is, is something that uh, people are still really working on. Um, so, you know, there, are, there have been some really big, great changes. And then obviously there are some things that we still need to work on, like equal pay in, you know, FIFA sanctioned matches and things like that. We've made it to our final question, which I ask every guest. What do you hope people remember about your impact to soccer and the world? Oh, that's a nice question. Um, you know, um, I guess, hmm, that's a hard one. Um, what do I hope people remember? Um, I guess I hope that they will remember that I was, all I cared about was giving girls the opportunity to be out on a field and feel that joy being out there on the field with their teammates. And um, there's nothing like it. And I think when I realized that that feeling was being, um, the girls were being excluded from that feeling just because they were girls. Um, I think that that's when I decided that that was the, that was the problem I was gonna work on for the rest of my life. Great, thank you so much for your time today. Oh, you're the best. Thank you for having me. This has been really fun. And I'm, again, I'm super impressed with you and can't wait to see what you do in the future. Thank you. <laughs> Once we were all wrapped up, Susie was very kind and she was great about suggesting ideas for the podcast and where I can go with it in the future. I really loved talking to her about things like saying no. It is something so important and valuable but it is so hard to do sometimes. I know I struggle with it and I know many other people struggle with it and despite their gender as well. I also really like talking to her about the balance, the balance between so many different projects and amazing things and also family commitments and how important those are to her. If you enjoyed hearing more about Susie, I really encourage you to go read her book, Raised a Warrior. It's so amazing and I love hearing about her. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and until next time, remember to keep the game beautiful.